Yo, 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 it's your boy Sneaky from R&R, recognition and respect. Tune in every Monday from 8 to 9 to catch up with me and my adventures and hear from my guests, ranging from artists to entrepreneurs and much, much more. Catch us every Monday of the week on the west side of the after party. See you at the party, y'all. Yo, 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 how's everybody doing out there? Thanks for tuning in to Recognition and Respect with your boy, Sneaky. Oh, man, um, my adventure time is a little short. i tell you some stories. So I'm currently carless because I needed to get, um, yeah, my car was leaking oil. And um, it's my main moneymaker. And so, you know, you can't let things go off for too long without taking care of them. So I didn't have a car. And um, <clears throat> I had some people visiting from out of town. It was a homegirl's birthday, so I decided to like not book any gigs so I could actually let my car get fixed and enjoy myself without stressing too much. Uh, so yeah, I went out, we ate, we drank, we had a good time. They're from Miami, you know, only their second, third time in Cali, so always try to be really hospitable. Uh, happy birthday to Laura. We had a great time. She got a room, and uh, out here we're actually uh, like... 30-second drive from the studio this weekend, so I thought that was cool. But um, I want to tell you a little story about synchronicity, all right? So on Friday, I, uh, I was supposed to go meet up with my homegirl. She had her room in the hotel and all that, and I didn't have a car, so I was trying to lift. And I was looking at the prices, and it was like, man, it's like $15. So I was like, yo, homegirl, when are you going to be there? She's like, I'll hit you up when I'm going. So when I got off the phone with her, the price had gone up to 16 and I was like man so she's like yo hit up my brother he's gonna come down this way maybe you can catch a ride with him so I hit him up and at this time it's like 4 30 and he's like oh yeah I'll probably be there around 8 and I was like bro that's not it that's not a pre-gaming time like I'm, I'm free right now what am I gonna do for three hours so homegirl hits me up that she's at the hotel and right when she hits me up the lift price drops to 14 and so I call it and I get into the lift and um you know just every time I get into a ride share, I always try to talk to the driver, chat it up, not make it awkward, not make it feel like they work for me. And um, turned out the driver was a comedian who does corporate and fundraisers, and he's an MC, and he's bilingual, and he has his own entertainment company. And it just so happened that I was looking for someone who was bilingual and an MC that could do some funny stuff at a community event. So it was this, it was this weird thing where like a ran, what seemed as a random steps actually turned out to be something that put me right where I needed to be. And um, that's how I started off my weekend, and the rest was all a blur. And so, you know what? It was good times, man. So that's my adventure time, man. Make sure you, uh, you know, follow your gut. Put yourself in some random situations. You never know who you're going to meet or what's going to come out of it, especially in L.A., especially having, you know, what all the people here that are working three, four, five different gigs in the gig economy. You never know who you're going to run up on, who who's going to be able to help you out with something. And you got to be open to that, man. And so that's a perfect transition to my guest today, my boy Dwayne Colbert. Say what's up to the people. What up? What up, people? So uh, we we go way back. We do. How long have you? How long? Did you have, have you had yeah. a guess? Because I, I I was yeah. trying to count and I don't really Maybe know. Ten years. Ten years. Yeah. Okay. Maybe more. So more than a decade, probably. Yeah, I'm sure. It's yeah, because I was yeah. like, how tall? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's just kick this off, Dwayne, and you know you you do 
multiple you wear different hats you have different types of you know gigs you do different types of art forms so yes if someone was to come up to you in the street and ask what do you do mm -hmm. how would you answer that you'd be as practical as metaphorical whatever well before we start talking about me let me just say um sorry to hear about your car that sounds oh, terrible. Yeah. Um, Especially in our business, <laughs> yeah. right? You need a car these days in well, LA. Just being in the city, yeah, just, just getting from one place to another. Public transportation transportation isn't where it needs to be yet. Hopefully by the Olympics, which is still a ways off, 2028, 20, uh, we'll have that all solved. But I know how it is. So it's just so, everything's so spread out. So I felt your pain on that one. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah right on. <laughs> I got you. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah, if someone came up to me and asked me what I did, I would say I'm an artist. Um, I'm an actor primarily. That's how I make my living for the most part. Uh, I teach acting, mostly uh, sketch and improv uh, at comedy theaters throughout Los Angeles, uh, Second City in Hollywood, at Ruby LA on Sunset in West Hollywood. All right, um, so you're like in the you're you're in like the heart of it. You're like acting yeah, in Hollywood, sure. in in that whole well, the environment. Acting stuff is like mostly commercial work. You know, I do some co-stars here and there. I've been on some shows. You know, uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine, uh, uh, Baskets, Veep. Uh, uh, Mindy Project, Tosh.0, but, you know, uh, again, uh, day player, so one or two lines, uh, but <laughs> so fun you, stuff, always have a good time. You mentioned acting mm -hmm. and sketch, and yeah. usually, like, I mean, just, just to be honest, I was, I thought we were going to talk about comedy, you know, because that's well, what I remember comedy, you doing, and that's what, so it is. acting, sketch, comedy, sketch what, comedy, how does that tie in together? Although most of the work that I've done as an actor, the paid performances have been comedy, I have done some dramatic roles, I was on Hand of God, and I did some drama stuff over at AFI, American Film Institute, in their cycle films and some thesis films that were dramatic works and pieces. Uh, and that came from the confidence I got from uh, doing improvisation and, and sketch comedy. Started off at the Second City, studying there. They have a whole conservatory for improvisation. I came there as a writer, actually trying to get better as a writer from uh, working at Nickelodeon, and my writing kind of stagnated. So a friend said, take an improv class. Mix it up. Yeah. yeah. Mix it up. First acting I ever did. And I just felt like I found, you know, my niche. Uh, the, they teach you how to write on your feet is what improv does. And it, it's exploded, you know, in the last 10 years I've been doing it um, all over the place. And for me, it just, it just keeps me fresh, keeps me, I mean, I don't know. It's one of those things that's very cathartic. It's fun. It's playful. It's, uh, it's, it's a brilliant art form. Uh, it can be. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I teach it. it. Well, like uh, in the art form, right, there's always going to be bad like there's always gonna be like not good music or not sure. good comedy or I, I don't try to focus on that or anything there that like you said it's going to be that with any kind of art form so right. it's not like that's my focus or anything but because uh you know people who kind of dabble in improv and then invite their friends or family they can give improv a bad name in that all they're doing is dabbling and then that's those, those people maybe their only impression of it right um, but there's so many different ways and opportunities to see really good performances around you know this this city that uh, there's really no excuse. I mean, Groundlink's been here forever, and they do brilliant shows there. Uh, UCB has uh, a couple of theaters at Franklin and, uh, and at Sunset, and they have brilliant shows. Uh, the Ruby LA, we have shows, uh, I think, five nights a week, if not seven. So you still. think that's an L.A. thing? Like, you think the mm -hmm. fact that we have such great shows and such great entertainment, mm -hmm. is that, like, because we're here in the city, or can you go to well, other big a, cities when and find something? L.A. is like not a theater town. It is not. Uh, it, it probably never will be. I mean, I know... I, I shouldn't say it never will be because I, I think at one point it was. If you go down Broadway Street in downtown Los Angeles, with there's, there's a, a push and a movement to revive those old theaters, and you just drive down there, there were theaters to the right and to the left. So at one point, I do, I do think there were a lot more live shows than there are now with the few choices we have of touring shows in the L.A., Southern California area. But the, because it's a land of entertainment and there's so many different choices that people have and so many different happenings and the nightlife here is so amazing that uh, that that – 
I don't know if you'll ever be the kind of theater town that New York or Chicago is, but I think that there is a, uh, a niche that can grow. Uh, but, you know, what we're talking about is a niche of a niche. When I say improv and sketch comedy, I mean, you know, the, the kind of theater we're doing is cabaret theater. And this is late night. Right, you know, right. 21 that plus. Kind of shit. Yeah, like, we're, we're, yeah, you know, we're, we're, you know, bringing, we got a, a case of beer by the door and say, come on in and watch our free improv show as we work out this bullshit we're trying to do. Right. It's not bullshit. What it is is we're, we're finding out how so to, it's almost know, like open mic kind of yeah, territory. Kind of like, like it's very underground it's very black box theater you know and how long yeah. have you been i mean you mentioned doing sketch comedy for mm -hmm. a decade now how long if you had to go back like acting comedy mm -hmm. like is this thing that you've been doing since you were young did you find it later in your life like have did you always feel like you were you the funny guy in class like <laughs> what's what's uh, <laughs> it's funny when i when i ran to some of my uh, or talked to some of my friends from college and then you know they found out what i was doing They'd be like, really? You're a comedian, but you weren't even funny. So, so <laughs> <laughs> and what they mean by that? It's not like I wasn't funny because I was always funny. Fuck y'all. Uh, Fuck you. <laughs> but I think what they're saying is that that you know comedy was not a pursuit. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm, it's not. I didn't do stand up or anything like that. And nor was in I, college. You weren't going. You weren't part of the, I, I the comedy one, club I took or one anything. acting class in college, and it was just like when you're. Freshman year, you're trying to try different things. I mean, my buddy Phil, an elective acting class, an elective, that kind of thing. But it wasn't like something I was interested in necessarily. So, it wasn't something I pursued. So, you uh, recently, it's more. Well, the story is kind of long. I'll try to wrap it up quickly because it, it is a long tale. But basically, I saw The Lion King and I was like, I want to do that. I'd always drawn my whole life. And how old were like, you that, when you saw Lion King? Like on play, theater, or that? No, I saw the, I saw the, the movie, the, the, the animated movie. movie. And I was like, I'd always been interested in animation, but I never really went for it until I saw that. So, I was just like, called up all the animation theater our, our companies and, and, and um, studios they all happened to be in Southern California at least at the time and I was like I want to do what you do and Hanna-Barbera and a bunch of different places sent me packages saying this is how you become an animator this is how you become a storyboard artist this is how you become you know this path of animation and they were like you know we have internships here so I just Basically, I had already dropped out of college twice. I was a math major. But this time when he said <laughs> that we will, you can be an intern at this, this small animation house if you're enrolled in college, I just you know, enrolled in a JC taking art classes. And I knew how to draw, but I never took a class for it, so I just started taking art classes. So you started out wanting to draw. That yeah, was your, main, that was exactly. your first and art pursuit. The, uh, and at the time, the Animation Guild, the, their union, they offered classes that you could pay for. They had a whole curriculum. So I was t in their curriculum as well as taking cl uh, classes at Pasadena City College just so I could get this internship at Hyperion Animation Studio. They did like Happily Ever After, Brave Little Toaster. They had this nice little niche of shows that they had done. Um, I think they may have done even Proud Family. Uh, it was just a nice uh, animation house that where it was a, a place where I could just soak it all in. So I started as an intern there and I just absorbed it all, man. I knew the whole process of animation there We pre-production where we pack it all in a box and ship it off to Korea and we get it back and, and post-production. I mean, I, I knew every aspect. I even did some pickup voices on stuff like that. But anyway, that led me to moving up in the ranks of animation. I worked for Warner Brothers TV. I worked for uh, uh, Disney Feature uh, on the production side. And on the story, uh, in the story department, I was the guy who transcribed the storyboard artists as they were pitching their movies. I would transcribe that into script format or take photo stats. I mean, I was really involved on the production side, but I longed, again, all this time taking classes, and they offered them free at a lot of these places, like Disney offered free classes too. So I'm paying for classes, I'm taking free classes, I'm trying to be an artist. You're fully immersed at this fully point. Immersed, You're just dove in. And, and what are you doing artists, for money at this point? I had a day job. Okay. You know? so plus, I was working at the theater, at the studio. 
you know, those were, that was my day job at the time. And, but it was yeah. an internship, so it paid? Or? From the internship, they saw this guy's working hard. They made me a runner. So I would just got it, got it. From so the they... package, they made me an in-house PA. From in-house PA, got laid off, but then I got a letter of recommendation. I took that to the next studio. So I always had work in a studio. So you yeah. had kind of like followed like the old school traditional way. You get it an internship, the time, yeah. they, 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 they see you're working hard, you get a job, hard, and, then you, and then you hard. move up. Like from mailroom to... All that. My head was down. I worked hard. Anything that I wanted to... My attitude was anytime they thought of me, I wanted them to think hard worker. And at the time, I was just soaking it all in, the process. So I wanted to know how they made cartoons. I loved that cartoons my whole life. So again, all these different places, I'm taking classes, and they were, the star, artists started helping me. They would critique my work, be like, this is terrible. Uh, <laughs> but in ways that were, you know, yeah, helping me get better. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, to the point where they were like, look, if you really want to do this, you're on this path to be a producer, really, you need to quit and apply as an artist. So you need never, to like change gears yeah, at this you point. have to. So I, I did that. I, I took a plunge and I quit and started applying to different places. Got some freelance work as like storyboard artists. But it, at the time in animation, it was like a downturn where a lot of people were getting laid off from these television um, productions. So the people I was competing against were people who were like, been doing it for years or were like directors who were now having to do boards, storyboards. So I didn't get a lot of work, but it was some. And I got to the point where I even, I figured I can't hack it. And, so, and that was really hard to say something you had done your whole life. You've been an artist and you had defined yourself with this and you studied this for years and then you are not good enough to do what you think you wanted to do. Right. So a buddy of mine, I just took a job as a PA again, just shuffling paper, just to be around animation. I loved it so much. Couldn't get work, but I just wanted to be around it, right? This is after working my way up the ranks. And a buddy of mine saw me. He's like, what are you doing? He said, you did all this. It was like the same guy who told you to like. Different guy. <laughs> this, this was like, wait, I, so everybody saw that you shouldn't be like, doing They were like, you did all this doing. training. You went through all these things and all, worked at all these places. Now you're working as a PA? He's like, look, I was at Nickelodeon at the time working as a PA. He was like, there you have a writing you know, fellowship here. Why don't you apply to that? Because you know, when you were doing boards, that's like being a writer. It's like being a director. It's like being a cinematographer with a pencil. And I was like, oh, I never wrote a script before. So I started watching but reruns. But you were transcribing stuff into exactly script when I was, form. I was exactly. So, so you kind of had some. I'd never taken a screenwriting class, but I had been transcribing uh, other people's material into script format, and they were like, "I get control of the action line." Sometimes at the time, I'm sure they do it different now, but at the time they'd be like, "Oh, that's a great description," or they'd be like, "No, use this word or whatever," because they're you know the oh, action line came like up with it. enters room or what? A, yeah, exa- anything that isn't dialogue. Sound. Yeah, right, right, that kind of thing. So. I didn't know what I was doing when I was at Nick to provide a, 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 to get into this fellowship, but I start watching reruns of, you know, uh, uh, Bernie Mac show and Everybody Loves Raymond. And I wrote a script based on whatever notes I took like to say this is funny. Like that classic sitcom, that, that and formula. And I got in. I got in that writing fellowship for Nickelodeon. It was like 30 year of the program. It was really great. You know, we were writing more spec scripts there. We were working on, uh, on, on different shows. They would put you on with the writing staff and all that other stuff. And then I started getting freelance work while I was a fellow on different productions there. And then the work dried up after a while. After I finished the fellowship, and then I had like maybe a year or so doing some more freelance work. Then the work dried up, and a, a buddy of mine was like, "Maybe your writing got complacent. Why don't you just take an improv class, and that'll help your writing?" And then I took one class at Second City. I've been acting ever since. And that was ten years ago. I took that class. It was January wow. 07. Yeah. You know, like I've known you for so long, and I had no idea that you had done all that. Like, <laughs> when I met you, you were you were comedian actor. Like that was, mm-hmm. I did not know that you had done. All that studio writing, oh, yeah. production, storyboarding. Yeah. So at this point in your life, you have like a pretty, you have a pretty good view, like a ve- a good spectrum of kind of the whole, like how something goes from idea to final production. Yeah. Like you have, you've seen that happen a couple for times. For sure, you've been I, around that. Definitely, I've, I mean, uh, in television, you know, did some television writing. Like I said, I worked for different animated shows, so definitely saw uh, something go from a pitch 
to then you further defining that pitch to then you for you know writing out a script or so, maybe some an outline before the script yeah so when you took the uh second city like did you know then that you were gonna, like was there a spark was I there a moment know or what was... improv was quite honestly i'd heard of it i was like oh that's when they make stuff up you know oh, so I, I literally anyway, yeah, kind of, yeah exactly that was my way and was like you know like wayne brady that's the stuff that he does <laughs> Um, but you know what? What I found was that it's it. You know what it taught me was just, you know just how to write on your feet, like I say. And 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 I found my nerds. I found the people who were just as silly as I was. And, and you know all these adults learning to uh, act through play. You know this sense of play and being present. I had never really been. You know I don't meditate. At least I didn't meditate much then, but I do now. Um, but just this ability to be present in the moment was something that I didn't have in my life, and that I, I really truly didn't know I needed. And I really, you know, it I changed like your I, life. It really did. It, I think improv changed me in that way, as, as far as just being able to be present. And I think that helps me when I do go out for these acting jobs. Just if you, you know, if I see it, they see it, kind of thing. I can just be, uh, you know, there are techniques to that, of course. But uh, I think improv helped that more than anything else, is, you know, because you have to be so many different things in an instant. Right. You, you have know. to be fluid. You have to yeah. be fluid. Yeah. And, and but be you, able to react. You still be want able to, to. But we have limited props and costumes, and we have to convince the audience and have them buy into our bullshit you know right. so uh your acting chops come into play to be able to have someone not pay attention to me miming this cup but you know they have to see to, the cup or, or pay attention to the relationship or the game or whatever we're trying excuse me for hitting the mic whatever we're trying to do that uh you know uh, is is grabbing because i'm not concerned with laughs so much with in my improv i'm concerned with moving an audience i want them to be affected in some way right you know uh, but it did start off me trying to be funny though for sure and uh do you think anyone could be funny yes do you think anyone can be a comedian? Is there a difference between those two things? Yes. One, yes, they in, can, and yes, or and yes, to all, yes to everything you said, and I'll, I'll explain myself. <laughs> yes, can anyone be funny? You don't have to be born funny to become funny. Right. Uh, and whoever thinks otherwise is ridiculous. What they may be thinking when they say that you're born funny is, is that uh, people who can do it on a professional level may be born with something that others don't possess. Sure. That doesn't mean we can't. There aren't techniques that have been developed through, you know, volumes of books and movies and whatever uh, workshops and, and, and schools and, and all these different things that can teach you things on how to be funnier than you might be today. So you can teach funny, yes. Um, now, what was the second part of your question? Uh, can anyone be a comedian? Can anyone be a comedian? And I guess that would be that professional level yes. where you're touring and, you, and you're doing well, all that. Yes, I say yes to that because what people don't realize is that, uh, uh, you know, that the whole model of what a stand-up or what a comedian is has changed and evolved and it always will. You know, you go from, from Mark Twain standing up and, 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 and in front of, uh, you know, the first invention of microphones uh, talking and when doing what's basically a stand-up routine. Even though he's like what, what they call like speeches or, or gatherings, or, uh, but it was full of comedy in a way that he knew he was going to try to get across these moments of, of levity to, to help, you know, weave the tale. So from that all the way through to, you know, uh, uh, vaudeville and, 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 and stand up as it was further defined through the 50s, 60s and 70s to the, the explosion of it in the 80s where everybody gets a fucking TV show to, uh, to where it is now where they put your goddamn phones away so I can work on my craft. Um, yeah, you can still do it because what, what I think has happened now is that we're, what people want is you. People thought they, you, you, you know, you kind of heard glimpses of that before, like people like Roseanne or, or Seinfeld made it because of their own personalities. But no, that was a routine. That was a stage persona. 
they created that person. And to a certain extent, you are going to have a certain stage persona, but for the most part, people do want you. So there's room for you, and you don't have to morph or, or mold yourself into someone else. I mean, think about stories like uh, like Ellen, where she, you know, as stand-up, she thought she had to mold and, 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 and conform herself. Not that I know this person, or not that I know the stand-up world or anything like that, but I'm just, from an observational audience point of view, what I saw was that people thought they had to be this quote-unquote comedian type. And I think that's that's mode has been broken left and right even with 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 uh having workshops and stand and and um and competitions and 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 uh and contests for up and up and coming stand-ups and 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 these festivals i still think it is changing what it means to be a comedian because you would not be you wouldn't call someone who did improv and sketch comedy a comedian you know a few years ago 10 years ago when i started but we're comedians too. Yeah. We're just not the same kind of comedian. They, right. they used to look at us as, oh, you're the, the smart ones or you're the ones who act uh, you know, silly. And, and it was just different because we don't approach joke writing in the same way that a stand-up comedian does. There's a, there's a craft of developing that that is not in the world of, of improv and sketch. So can someone be taught to be a comedian? Hell yes. But it's going to take a different skill set than I have to teach them, but it can be done uh, because we're looking for you. The world is, the audience is looking for specific personalities now we can be so niche there's so many different outlets for comedy and comedians that hell yes anybody can do it get out there yeah so you said acting mm -hmm. is how you, that's like your main gig right now and yeah. that so how is how does acting compare to comedy compared to stand-up compared to sketch well have the dream you, is have you done is... any of that have you done stand-up before like I just no I, a friend of mine who's who's a really uh, funny stand-up comedian uh b hunt brian hunt uh, would take me to a few open mics, and I would I would hang out with uh, Brian and some some real comedians. Um, and, uh, <laughs> he doesn't also, mean someone, you're not a real comedian, Brian. No, the, he doesn't the, mean you're not a real comedian. <laughs> what I mean by that is like not me. I'm not a real comedian. Right. Um, but the, you know, <laughs> oh, open mics are tough. Yourself, open mics are tough. They are. You have to write jokes, and then you you don't necessarily get the feedback you need from open mics because it's other comedians just waiting for their time. So that's you know it's a long haul to do that. So you have to find opportunities to get feedback. With improv, I get instant feedback. Every time I do a set, I know if I'm affecting people or not. You know what I mean? So it's just a different skill set that I thought I'd rather rely on ensemble play than people who know that you wrote it and sit there and cross their arms going to make me laugh. You know, there's, a, there's room for that, obviously, and there's people who are great at that, but that's not me. Right, because I still think that that's probably what people think about when they think comedy. Comedian, they think stand-up. They sure. think guy with a mic. And that doesn't necessarily have stage. to change. It's not like I'm, you know, rallying cry for, uh, you know, let us improv people in, too. I don't care. Right. Uh, it's just that I just gravitate toward uh, comedic acting when I'm out there and, and, you know, my reel is all about the shows I've been on, the things I do, the shows I write, the things I direct are usually comedic theater or, co or comedy. So that doesn't mean that you can't bring the skill set of acting to it because I think that makes you a better imp improviser. Right. Uh, but yeah, so I'm an well, actor who improvises. Yeah. You're an actor who improvises. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of... For sure. That's your niche. Well, even, I, even when I go to auditions, man, I, I improvise all the time until they tell me stick to the copy. They're like, no, no watch, the read the damn script we wrote. Uh, but for the most part, I give them what they ask for first. I give my interpretation. But then if I get a second try at it or whatever, a third try, whatever, I'm always going to wing it a little always. bit. Always. And I've, I mean, I and don't know. And think they like that? Because like, it, it obviously sets you apart, right? Maybe they don't like it specifically for that role. But I will say this. I will say this. Every major uh, television show, network television show, a comedy that I've been on, I've improvised. And it made it in. Okay. You know what I mean? So you're, some you, some so have asked have for it, some have not. So you some have the data. Some have asked for it. Some will say, like, hey, you know, we, we might go with the flow, they might say. 
And I'd be like, I'm down to go with the flow. That's what I do, baby. Or, or, or if they don't, and I throw in one, if it's good, they'll keep it. If not, they get that shit out of here. But I'm not <laughs> trying to ruin anyone's. You know, writers are brilliant. I'm not trying to act like I'm a better writer than them. Right. You know, someone who's wrote a, a good piece of copy. But for commercials, it definitely helps. You You're know, that's what, when I say I make my living as an actor, it's mostly that. It's mostly commercial work. Commercial. Like and then imp- improv definitely helps me do. You know, with commercial work. Okay. Yeah, because they want to. You know, they. You know. <laughs> They're trying, they're trying to feel it out, too. They're trying to get it to, like, what is this product? And they want spontaneity to it as well. They don't want right, to feel stilted. They don't you know? want it to feel whole, like it was so know, generic. From the time people got home cameras, you know, VHS and all that, before the phone explosion of it, we want more authenticity on our television. We don't need all the pretty people like, necessarily uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. Yeah. and like, Some sort of, we want to feel of that, yeah. I mean, I hate, you know, God rest uh, Vine, so, but, uh, but the, you know, the anyone with a camera can be able to do it. Yes, maybe, but we are, you know, YouTube kind of weeded out. I mean, Vine <laughs> had a thing going, though, but I think, obviously, Facebook and Instagram mm-hmm. kind of absorbed that audience. But, I mean, there was that Instagram little... stories kill Vine. Yeah, right? That's basically what happened. Yep. Um, so, we're going to switch gears a little bit. Sure. We've done the recognition part. You're an actor who improvises. You're mm-hmm. this, you know, you've had 10-plus years in the entertainment, production, storyboarding. You're a working entertainer in what entertainment capital of the world. Um, so how do you get to that? Obviously, there's a lot of hard work. Um, do you practice? You mentioned open mics. Do you? How do you keep your sketch comedy? Like, is there a, well, is there exercises for that? I know you. Well, mentioned let me just make sure I clarify wanna... the difference between sketch comedy and and improvisation. So improvisation is you know we. That is an art form that you get up and you improvise as saying, this is our performance piece and we're just going to improvise and make this up. And it's a one-act play that we do called long-form improvisation where we take a suggestion from the audience and then we, we improvise uh, for like 25 to 45 minutes oftentimes. And that'll be our set, we call it, and that'll be a one-act play, right? And that's made up on the spot, never seen before, never to be seen again necessarily. Sketch comedy is... It's written. It's written, but it could be written... By, with improvisation, and that's what makes places like the Second City unique, is that that's how they write their sketch, is through improvisation. So they might do that improv set, record it. And then go back and, then and go find back the, and, the right. jewels. It's kind of like freestyling and then exactly. finding out like, what exactly. the gems. It's the and same kind of skill set. And in Chicago, they'll have an improv set after their regular performed sketch show. They'll have an improv set where they're working out new material, and then in, they slowly incorporate new material into the, you know, the set that they do, that their normal you know, written sketch show, until it becomes a new show. So um, those two things are separate, and I do both of those things. So uh, I perform regularly with a group called Black People. And that's uh, me and a bunch of different improvisers. These are people who are, uh, most of them sh- from Chicago, some from L.A., uh, just like-minded folks who get down and do our thing with improvisation. You've seen them on TV shows and movies. Uh, they've done way more successful than me. Uh, but, but they're awesome and brilliant, and we play together like nobody's business. It's just it's a, s- a shorthand we have where we don't have to think about it. Um, I play with a group called Shortstop at the Ruby. It's a house team. They're currently their uh, longest uh, or oldest styles team, the longest-running house team there. Um, and uh, that, that's a group that was put together uh, through auditions by the theater. So this is not me and my friends playing like black people are. This is the, the theater saying, we like this personality to play with this personality. And then we, uh, we hire a coach. They put together their team. Kind yes, of. and we hire a coach and we hang out all the time. And we have our own form that we come up with, our own form of long form that we then play every week at, our, at a weekly show. 
at, at, at the Ruby. Um, so is that's that my what improvisation. Afro and ass whoopings is. And Afros and ass whoopings was a was a sketch comedy show that I wrote. It was a musical comedy that I wrote. So sketch comedy, I teach sketch comedy at Second City, sometimes at Ruby, and uh, I coach a sketch comedy teams. Um, Drug Money is one of the teams that used to be at the IO or uh, IO West, um, which closed recently. So now they're over at Acme Theater, Acme Comedy Theater on La Brea, where we do a monthly show there, the second Sunday of the month, called Drug Money, Drug Money Sketch Comedy. Or look them up. Um, and we also are looking to perform at different um, festivals. They've done the San Francisco Sketch Festival, uh, Drug Money. They've done uh, Austin Sketch Festival, and they're just you know great. You know, group of veteran performers, dope people. You've seen again on TV shows and movies. They're just so dope. Great writers, performers. They all write and perform their own material. Uh, I, house team at Second City. I, I coach called Cuddle Puddle. Uh, brilliant performers. Again, this is a team. When I say house team, I mean the theater itself auditioned and put these people together and say, okay, now we are going to give you a coach, and then this coach then puts up a. a we do a, every four weeks. So on, like they're uh, basically Wednesdays. putting together squads, and exactly. they're like, go, squads, go be dope right. in this. Go be dope. go be dope in our theater. Bring exactly. people out, make them laugh, yep. and then we'll keep you on. Exactly. Um, start so up you this do multiple. One, all this thing, There's, and that's uh, how you kind of piece it all together. That's how I make some of my money. So that's how I, you know supplement the acting. That's how I sub, you know do my own writing. You mentioned afros and aspects. Afros and Assweapons was the Second City producing a show that I wrote. They'd start, I'd gone through their directing so Second program. Second City is a school. Second City is a uh, comedy theater based out of Chicago that also teaches uh, it through um, improvisation, through their improvisation conservatory. So you went there comedy. to learn? I went there to learn and about then improvisation. You became and I eventually worked for them as a performer. A performer in the theater. Uh, well, First on a cruise ship, uh, they used to have a contract with cruise ships where you'd go four months at a time and you'd you – Like know, some DW3 ships? Well, yeah. Right before, I mean not right, but I was performing sketch comedy and improvisation on a cruise ship as part of the entertainment. That's dope. For, yeah, it was great. We did, went all over the world. It was, it was awesome. So that was the first time I worked for them. That was the first time I worked as an actor was for Second City. And then after that, I came back and I went through their directing program and then they hired me on as one of their instructors in L.A. And then, um, you know – after I got through their directing program again, they saw some of the work that I was doing in the program, and then they hired me to direct and teach. And that first show that I wrote for myself, that I didn't audition other actors with their own material that I'm putting up, their sketch material, so this was my sketch material, was Afros and Ass Whoopings. I basically saw Mike Brown get gunned down in Ferguson, and I had to explain that to my two boys. And it was hard for me to look them in their faces and you know, you know, not let them be kids anymore. So instead, I wrote a musical comedy about it, and we we killed, man. He, healing, healing through we, laughter. Healing through laughter. We killed too. We, I mean, we brought in black folks that had never even heard of sketch comedy to that theater. We so would sell out shows. That was know. completely written, produced. You auditioned. You chose the actors. So yeah, like, that was I like worked a with whole... the musical director Huey Stonefish. Huey wrote the music for uh, He's My 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 Jewish brother from uh, Connecticut. Um, He's just brilliant, brilliant writer. So was that like your first thing where you kind of like had it was the first thing complete, that was just complete, complete, complete creative me. control? Yeah, that's my, my comedic your baby, voice. Your that ba was, you had to put it up on. Afros and Ass Whoopings is my comedic voice. I took what I learned from sketch comedy and I brought that to a, a musical. I had never written a musical before, but I feel like we needed comedy for the subject matter of police brutality. We wanted it to be a musical so people who aren't black would feel our pain because I don't feel like people are bringing enough attention and aren't feeling our pain enough about this epidemic of, of black Black people and people of color being gunned down, unarmed and otherwise, by police. And so, um, how long ago did you put this show on? Started writing in 2014 when Mike Brown got killed. Okay. We put the show up in 2015 and we ran through the end of 2016. 
So we started. And it's coming back. It's coming back. We're gonna. We got some producers involved. We're gonna do. Be raising some funds. We're gonna have a new cast with some uh, holdovers. Um, we are writing a second act. Uh, we're almost in the, the the finishing stages of that second act. It's gonna be dope. So if they have people enjoyed Afros and Assholes, look it up. Afrosandassholes.com. If you've seen the show, know that we're bringing the show back, bigger and better, uh, bigger theater. Uh, the theater where we're at Second City, we just kind of outgrew the space. So um, you know they were behind us 100. percent They were the first people to produce the show. We love Second City. Right. They gave um, you that. They, they gave me an opportunity to get my voice right. out there. They taught yeah. you how to do it, and they hired you to do it. Josh and Funk then... was the uh, artistic director at the theater, and he was you know my guardian angel to get my voice out there of uh, saying I like this. This is funny and it's got something to say. Let's put it out there. So yeah, we're going to put it out again bigger and better. I'm also doing another show at Second City uh, soon that we'll probably start auditioning for um, people in maybe October. Uh, hopefully looking at January 2019. It's called Shade, uh, a musical, a colorful musical. Uh, the, the basic idea of Shade is um, a Rachel Dolezal type white woman. So transracial? <laughs> switches places with a Stacy Dash type black woman because they look alike. Like some Freaky Friday type shit? Some Freaky Friday type shit, some Prince and the Pauper type shit, some, yeah. And we explore shade. Uh, when I say shade, I mean like uh, songs in there about, I'm not, yeah, colorism. I'm not your Hispanic. I'm not your Asian. People think they know these things, and we're going to be able to move the narrative about the exploration of the concept of shade through this music. It starts off with an incident at a uh, somebody uh, at, a, at a coffee shop where white women's calling police on a black woman that's and we oh, get back to Becky. that yeah yeah bro so uh yeah i'm always trying to explore different topics that people are kind of are hot button topics and i think comedy and musicals are the way to do it so you've been doing this for over a decade mm -hmm. if you had to go back to your college self yeah. and give yourself like oh, wow. a couple words of advice in the future <laughs> or maybe not you like if there's yeah young aspiring comedians open micers you know people that want to write and don't like they're mm -hmm. just not sure if they're funny or if they can be funny like any advice for some folks out there any kind of words of wisdom get it they down. Got, you got the gray hairs coming out bro. yeah I think, yeah drop get some that wisdom. down get that get that your ideas your voice get it down in whatever form you feel like you need to get it down because otherwise it's just going to be calling you. It's just going to be whispering to you to get out in some way. You're not going to be able to avoid it. Not that you want to avoid it, but uh, if you feel like you don't have, there is no avenue or, or, or venue for your voice, you're wrong. Because there is. In some way, shape, or form, you can get your voice out there. So if you need to write it down, write it down. If you need to speak on it, speak on it. If you need to rap about it, rap about it. But I feel like you know, the same skill set that is used and, and people of color, mostly black people, gravitate toward with freestyle rap and all that, that same skill set you know, can be utilized. And I think a lot more of it is uh, with improvisation. You know, this there are forms jazz, of improvisation. Baby. It really is jazz, you know. Uh, it's like jazz. It's like sports. It's like all of that. Um, so I would say just get it out, get it down, get your voice down. And then we can talk about how to shape it and, and, and maybe put it out there depending on what kind of audience you want. You know, uh, getting it down just may be cathartic enough for you to just be like, oh, I can sleep at night. You know what I mean? If I, if I only want to get stuff out just for me to giggle at home at my desk, that's fine, too. I can have an audience of one. But if you want to grow your audience, you have a bigger audience, then we can talk about ways to reach, you know, people and, and things you can do uh, with your art to get it out there to the masses in that way. And how you know, have you been used, finding ways to do I still draw, that? and I used to sculpt and everything, like figure sculpting. What were you going to ask? You said how to... No, I, yeah, how, no. You still draw, you still sculpt. I'm just saying that that's a different outlet for uh, a creative outlet for me that has nothing to do with you know writing or acting or anything like that and you, you still know? do it just cathartic just yeah kind of i don't sculpt as you. much as i'd like to but it's still draw yeah mm -hmm. so uh in 2018 social media era yeah we were talking about this kind of off air before we came on 
Um, how does a actor, writer, comedian utilize social media today? Like we, a lot of people that sit in this chair talk about content generation. Mm-hmm. They're doing videos. They're that is a flyers, way They're you know recording music. So like what? I ain't got time for that. I, I'm, I got, <laughs> I'm working too much. You know that's what it is. It's not like I'm against that or anything like that. I mean I, you should have a presence if you because it feels like nowadays if you don't have a social media presence, like people treat you like are you even here? Do you even exist? Kind of thing. So I agree that you know as a performer who's trying to get myself and my work out there, I need to be able to reach the people and you have to be relevant in a way and it's comedians were always fighting for relevancy like do i matter especially as you grow older like you know does i don't want to be the angry man waving his fist on the you know on my lawn saying get off my lawn kind of thing but is my point of view the point of view that i feel like i need to share and i think it is um so i think i need to have a platform in some kind of way uh mostly on twitter i'm just rage tweeting at the president about this bullshit that's going on or about some cops that are just taking advantage of the you know the authority we've uh blessed them with and 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 no one's holding them accountable so i'm mostly rage tweeting about uh the injustices i see in the world but i do try to every now and then throw out the funny and (laughs) you'd have to really sift through my my feed to see any funny in there so i'm not using it in a way that i probably could to get my funny out there but there are other ways to do that for like the show has its own feed so i can you know have people you know we used to trade with cast members who would take over the feed that kind of thing so right, right, um, right. but me personally on twitter i'm just mostly raging on ig i, I barely post when people be <laughs> begging me to post stuff i just mostly you know look and like uh facebook uh i just hate facebook at this point and i'm trying to i deleted the app from my phone last year i'm trying to not go on it as much, but it's hard when you are, again, are trying to reach people and go to shows and have them come to your shows. And that's, that's probably where I reach the most people is on Facebook. Um, and I, I can't quit it yet. So I'm, I want to, but I just can't yet. So, uh, you talked about tweeting mm-hmm. and the president. Um, I listen to a lot of comedians who say, you know, Trump is good for comedy. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things going on in the world, of course, like mm-hmm. fucked up policies, uh, people of color being stripped of, you know, basic human dignities. Is that good for comedy? I think having an opinion is good for comedy. It doesn't matter who's in the, well, it does matter who's in the White House. So I, I, what I meant to say, or uh, what I was starting to say was it doesn't matter for comedy who's in the White House. It does matter who's in the White House, just plainly saying, not having anything to do with the comedy. Uh, but for comedy's sake, um, having an opinion matters more than anything else. A point of view, uh, a way of looking at the world, saying, okay, everybody is looking at this situation or this topic this way. How do I feel about that? Am I brave enough to say how I feel about it? And is that different from everyone else? Or is that the same? And how is it the same? Or how is it different? You know, what, that difference or that similarity is probably the comedic point of view that's going to get you, you know, standing out and being different and makes you who you are. So having an opinion. I always got an opinion. I'm fucking, I'm, all I'm trying to do with my shows that I put out, the shows that I write and perform and direct, oftentimes is just like get the audience as pissed off as I am because I am fucking heated about injustices in the world because I look at stuff and I'm like, how are we letting this shit go by? This is horrible. You know, I have morals. I'm not trying to say I'm a goddamn saint. And anybody who knows me out there listening to this know I ain't. Right. But goddamn, you know, this is terrible. So I try to do it through comedy because no one wants to hear you or going to listen to you up on your soapbox waving your fist. Right. So I got to, you know, comedy's got to be the invitation in. You got to make them laugh or don't nobody want to hear that shit. It's funny to go back to our earlier point. I also realized that about animation, like mm-hmm. uh, one of my guilty pleasures right now is BoJack Horseman. Yeah, I love that show. And just like 
the fact that it's like animals and not people, mm-hmm. people can relate to that somehow more. They're like, oh, yeah. this is what black people are going through, but it's it's, it's like horses and people, cats. And they, they're they like, need the metaphors. You have to yeah, ease them into it. The analogies, yeah, helpful. You're not seeing a person, so you're not like, oh, that person's different. You're seeing like a, an animal that's been, you know. Sure. So I've noticed. Yeah, I mean, that's- from Dr. Seuss on, and even before him. But you know, people. Yeah, we need that, man. That's what poetry is. It's like it's not. We're not speaking straight English or a straight language. We're giving you uh, a, a, a artistic version of it, so you can really get to the meat and bones of it without hitting you over the head. Because when you hit people over the head, they're going to tune out. They right. Don't hear that shit. And that's kind of where this whole. That's kind of where this whole Trump thing came from, arguably. Mm-hmm. Right. There yeah. was like a whole section of the country who felt like people weren't listening and I think it was a combination of things. I think that was a large part of it, but I don't think that was the only thing that was happening there with Trump being elected. You know, I ain't trying to get too, too deep with it. Um, but for the most part, I, I don't buy into the wholehearted acceptance of, uh, this, you know, people who were disgruntled and felt left out and that's why he got elected. No, I think that were other factors involved with that as well. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so I'm, I've been kind of like amazed by your whole journey. It's been right. a long. I'm one. amazed. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a. It's still it's going. So yeah. it's. I think it's 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 really important for listeners to realize, mm-hmm. and I think this is this is beautiful that you started off, kind of completely somewhere else from where you are right yeah, now. Yeah, big time. I was a math major in college, man. And you put a lot of time and energy into those things. Mm-hmm. Like how were you scared to switch gears? Always or scared was to switch there... gears. The, the biggest fear was when I was like, I can't hack it as a visual artist. I'm not good enough. These people are world class. I don't have what it takes. And I've always been the guy who drew. So like, you know, what do you do when you've always defined yourself as this one thing? So that's really scary. So I don't look at it as a bunch of you know things that I've uh, accomplishments. I always look back at on it, on it, you know, the things I've done as a bunch of failures that I just didn't quit. I just kept going and say, oh, how can I turn this into something else? And oftentimes that was other people looking at me, like a few examples I gave tonight, but there were a million more of people in my life who were looking at me and saying, you did this. I love this about you. I loved your attitude. It's mostly my enthusiasm for the work and my attitude that's gotten people to say, hey, here's an opportunity. And I've been ready for those opportunities. That's the difference is like being ready. You know, all those skill sets help me get to the readiness of when people come with the opportunities because they're going to come. I've been so lucky in my life in every aspect of it. Everything that I've done and failed at or had some, you know, uh, accomplishments in, I've been really lucky where people look at me and they're going, you know, wow, man, I, I want to ride your enthusiasm. People really do feed off enthusiasm. And I have a true, genuine love for art, for creativity, for um, making people um, pay attention to something other than their dreary lives sometimes, you know. And when I say dreary, I mean like we're all wanting to get away from dreary. That's not a goal of anyone is to have a dreary life. I'm saying there's more to it than that, and here's how, you know. And so, <clears throat> I mean, you mentioned your boys. Mm-hmm. Two black kids. Yeah. Three, three, how many have? Three, I have three boys. Yeah, two of the younger ones are still in, you know, school, but yeah, I have an older son, too. And he's yeah. about to go off to college. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Justin is about to go to UC Santa Cruz, yeah. And Justin's still, uh, George is still in high school. He's going to be a junior at Pasadena High School. So, and I know, Ed like, dog, when I was Evan in... Evan is my oldest, and Evan is, uh, he's in boot camp right now, man, at the Navy. Oh, the Naval Academy in Grand Rapids, yeah. Does that worry you? Uh, it does worry me uh, because of the state of the world, but right, that's at the same time, um, I feel proud like, of him. Yeah, I really am, man. Ev's doing it for for the fam, so yeah, it's all great. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you talked about having to like steal your children's childhood from them. Is that is that whole 
does that a driving force for a lot of what you do is like for them well, like is there is that there, show are was, you trying to like just just afros and ass whoopings well like, not just the show i'm not saying i'd, I'd do you know this all or live my life with them she gave me seven um but i gotta say that uh that you what people have started to deem the talk when it comes to black families having to talk to their kids about the police was what that show was about. So before it became a colloquialism, before it became a phrase that we all, all other black people knew what you're talking about when you say the talk, they knew you weren't talking about the sex talk, they knew you're talking about the, how to deal with the police. That's what our show was about. And you know, the show ran for a year and a half and every time people see it, they'd be like, when did you write this? Because it kept morphing and changing. So the first you know, time we put it up, the, the guy in the opening scene who gets killed by the cops, spoiler alert, was not wearing a, a, a Kaepernick jersey, but by the time we closed, he was. And that's kind of the beauty of it being sketch and... Relevant. Yeah. You know, uh, Ian Roberts is uh, one of the co-founders of UCB, and he's quoted as saying, other people have said it too, though, but he's quoted as say, always saying that, you know, the biggest compliment you, you can get, one of the biggest compliments you can get on your improvisation is people come up to you after the show and be like, wow, you know, that was written, wasn't it? You got the, didn't you guys yeah. write that down? Yeah. So they're basically, like saying that, they're basically saying that it was so good that it seemed like it was sketch comedy. Well, I think the opposite is true, too, and I'm sure other people agree, uh, and I have to vocalize that, that the best kind of sketch comedy feels like improvisation. It feels like it's alive, you know. So there were <laughs> my mind because <laughs> there were there were moments and places in all the sketch uh, shows that I direct, especially in Afros, where I gave dealers choice, where it was up to the improviser, the actor, to choose in that moment an improvisation that they want to do, and it still fit into the narrative. Right. So our sketch show always felt alive. It always felt like improvisation. And the audience you know resonated with that. People, there they were people who it. came with groups uh, of other people. They came six, seven, eight times to see the show. And they were like, fresh. always felt different, always felt fresh. There were ways we put in there where um, the dealer's choice were um, pop culture references. So it always felt like, oh, wow, how could they be on it? Were they yeah, talking about this thing that just happened in the news? Where, right. Were there ways to do that and keep yeah. it relevant through yeah. improvisation? That's amazing. All right, well. Yeah. This has been an incredible interview. I, I it's didn't been even, incredible for me that I you're lost, having me, Shanique. Dude, I, I was like lost for words sometimes. I'm like, dude, what do I talk about now? Um, you, you've done so much, and like your like your attitude, your presence, your energy. It's, it's not noticeable here since I've known you, Where? and obviously, like, Excuse it's me. it's helped to you know for your career and your life and all that. So I mean, just keep up the great work. Right, um, on, man. I appreciate you. Is there anything? That you want to tell the folks if they want to uh, follow you on social, yeah, you, you have follow any me shows on social, coming up, all of that uh, on you Twitter. You want to promote uh, your teams? Yeah, I'm gonna do everything <laughs> uh, on Twitter. Um, uh, what the hell am I on Twitter? J uh, at just like Stephen. Um, that's because my last name I pronounce it Colbert, so it's just like Stephen Colbert. <laughs> so I'm at just like Stephen on Twitter, on uh, on IG uh, D Colbert O one because I'm the only one. Uh, <laughs> uh, what else? Am I, don't don't we don't need to be snapping. Uh, I'm married. Uh, what else? Uh, Facebook. <laughs> we don't need to be on Facebook. Let's just stop it right there. Uh, promoting shows. I perform with Black people at the Second City. I believe we have a show this Saturday at 7:30 in the Brick Box. That's our Black Box Theater. Um, um, what else? I uh, performed with Shortstop on Sunday nights at 7.30 at the Ruby LA. And uh, Afros and Ass Whoopings coming back. Look for that. Afrosandasswhoopings.com. Shade, a colorful musical, is going to be coming to Second City uh, in 2019. 
You busy, dog. Let's do it. I like yeah. it. All right. Well, it. I appreciate your appreciate time, brother. You, brother. Uh, we're just going to wrap it up. Oh, also, thank you for bringing some supplies for the kids. Yes. I you really appreciate Yeah, you guys that. were looking for some donation supplies for the kids. I brought some pens, pencils, whatever y'all need. No, nah, you know what? Brought what I could. And honestly, that's just a testament to the visionary of this whole thing, like um, Montana, the yeah. madam of media. She, you know, she came up and she's like, yo, we, we, we bought 100 backpacks, 50 nice. for LA, 50 for Dallas. Like, wow. We're going to find an organization. We're going to find schools. We're going to find kids that that's need dope. stuff. And so start telling your guests, you know. So you were the first one right. to bring in stuff. Well, I, right really I love being it. the first. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Christian Arias. He's also going to be donating nice. to L.A. and Texas. That's another um, thing real quick that helped me, I think, with my art. I try to give it all away. When I found improvisation, I, you know, uh, giving of myself is what I meant by that. Anytime someone asked me to be in a show or a video or whatever, I did all that. And that led to so many different opportunities just for me giving. And I try to still do that. People want to hire me as director or coach or read something or whatever. It's all good. I'm, right. I'm, I'm available and open and ready to help my friends and family or someone I've had a positive encounter with. And that's a beautiful thing, man, because like we talked about the last show, we call it sacrifice, you know, like mm -hmm. as DJs, as performers, sometimes you got to go do a free show. Sometimes yeah. you got to go yeah. and give yeah. of yourself so that, you know, people will see you and say, hey, I want to book and, you. And or... give it with zero expectation of getting anything back. Yeah, that's the hard part. I don't say I, I, don't say I did it to get things back, right. but you just be amazed what comes at you, though. Right. Um, again, like with those opportunities. Yeah. Cool. So we did a drive. Um, it's ending August 15th. So between now and then, if anybody wanna, wants to get me any pens, paper, pencils, school supplies for uh, young kids, put them in a backpack. We're going to get them out. Um, you could either give them to me. Or you could bring them to the radio station. Um, I hosted a giveaway this past week, and um, it was not good. You know, I guess, like, my crowd isn't used to giveaways, or I got to figure out a better way to get the content out. We are trying to give away free shirts. Motherfuckers are liking the post and not following the directions to get into the contest to get the shirt you already clicked it <laughs> why didn't you just like go follow after party and then comment a homie like you did so after a week uh we have our winner release 84 <laughs> <laughs> that's my brother y'all because homie supports yes so you know could have been really easy for y'all to get some free shirts so rulies you won the shirts you and j26 be walking around with some after party west gear um this friday speak easy demise music takeover my monthly hip-hop event almost about to hit a year in october uh we're always trying to get better about bringing people in bringing new artists the environment the ambiance the community so come out uh it's free 21 plus uh we have a photo booth we have food vendors we got uh 24 uh 24 a 420 friendly patio oh. um we're out there enjoying celebrating life and the love of verse every second friday of the month i will be back next week i'm gonna have a band in here so there might be some talking over and like a lot of i don't know i've never done a band or multiple people before so uh join in come back Check out the podcast app or Stitcher or SoundCloud for past episodes. Make sure you follow Dwayne on Dwayne. all the social media. If you want to. You don't have to. No, fuck that. <laughs> if you're listening, go follow the homie. <laughs> like, he's out here putting 
legit content. He's making he's making shows that matter, that are critiquing, that are matter. educating. And you know, the whole reason I brought you on is because you got we got to support each other. Right on. Like yeah. there's not a lot of us that are Bro, doing the whole thing. As soon as you hit me thing. up, I was like, yes to that. Yeah, you didn't even know what it was, yes and that's that's what we're doing out here. So. That's right. Follow my boy. Go check him out. Go check out his comedy. Go go to the show. Psychocity.com. Ruby LA. Come on. Let's see some shows. All right. I love all y'all. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Brittany, take us out. All right. Folks, it's you still.